Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Myself, Matt Messiano, Jordan Weimer, and Tom Burdell all in situ to talk about. My goodness, it, am I reading this correctly, guys? Did we win a game? Oh, is that right? <laughs> On a Saturday as well, no less. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it. I mean, albeit against a team that I don't think was even there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you, you've been well since the last time we spoke? Yeah. Doing very well. Doing very well. No complaints. Yeah. Did we, we were you um, surprised by the win, or do you think you know? One of one of the uh, the phrases I love from you, Tom, is that even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again, and uh, I feel like this <laughs> yeah. is one of those um, one of those times that that phrase really applies. Well, we're the Stevie Wonder of squirrels, aren't we? So <laughs> um, there's your show title right there, the Stevie Wonder of squirrels. Uh, yeah, one thing I would say is, and I didn't go to the game, so Jordan should do more of the heavy lifting on this show. I was, where was I? I was at the christening, unfortunately. Um, uh, only in the sense of missing the game, obviously. I was pleased to the christening. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, but it was an own goal and a goalkeeping howler against the Bristol City side that have basically been all season. They've got nothing to play for and we still only managed four shots on target. So, I mean, you guys tell me, were we kind of head and shoulders the better team? Was it a good performance objectively or was it we did enough to beat a, a team that's worse than us? They do exist. I think it was a, you know, we it was a very unconvincing win. I, I don't want to... We're not going to talk all negative today because there are positives we can talk about as well. But, I mean, to summarise, I'd say it was two two poor teams, but one has, you know, more quality in certain areas. And whilst it wasn't necessarily that quality that shone through entirely, there were a couple of occasions where it helped. And, you know, we we find ourselves on the winning end of it. But there, there were definitely large portions of the game where I thought Bristol looked, looked more co- cohesive than we did at times as well. So... Uh, it was by no means a perfect display, and, and still not even as good as the uh, the home performance we had against, say, you know, Birmingham, for example. Uh, we we weren't really up to that standard either. But yeah, we I mean, we we somehow won it. But I think there'll be a day or you know play that again, and we might come up from you know any sort of result. It, it was kind of hard to say, even across the whole ninety. It wasn't a, a dominant display by any means. Mm. Two changes for this one, Jordan. Um, 
the first one, Backman returning for Ben Hamer. Uh, ben Hamer got a couple of um, plaudits from, from a few people, but most were really looking at that goal that he conceded and, and you know, regretting that uh, that he had been in place. But um, was it always likely that Backman would come back in? I think that goal definitely definitely improved those chances, and yeah, I think I, I mean I think we had some discussion on this, but it seemed the most likely situation, and then, you know I think he deserves the chance to 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 make up this mistake in some ways too, as in Backman, sorry, make a mistake in the previous game getting sent off, but yeah, I, I think it was somewhat expected, and and I think he played well enough to justify it as well, just about. He did. He, he made um, several key stops. One thing you, you you can never say against Batman is that he doesn't out a dive. He's he makes some really wonderful saves that I think probably uh, it certainly has fooled me in the past. Um, it can make you forget about the other parts of his game because he does have a wonder save in him, but um, there are definitely elements to his game that doesn't make him a complete goalkeeper and and. Um, Perhaps we saw a few of those against Bristol. I think I think a goalkeeping position in general is is an area that question marks are a little bit exaggerated or you know, maybe in the forefront of your mind a little more. It's not an area you want to have questions over. So anytime you do, you know, you might be looking at that with a little bit more scrutiny than you are, say, your right back or or whatever the other position is. So yeah, it was you know I think the change had to be made, and we don't have a great depth in quality at goalkeeper. So yeah, Beckman comes in, and and I, I imagine that's that for the season. Yeah. Tom, did you see the highlights? Did you catch any of Backman's performance? Yeah, a couple of good saves, as you, as you say in there. I think, as you say, the kind of shot-stopping aspect has never been in doubt, has it? Um, the two things that people regularly use as a stick to beat him with, and although I've said my piece on him previously in terms of being kind of more defensive of him or defending him, um, the two things that you can absolutely legitimately criticise him for is distribution, which when I think back to lockdown and that Man United FA Cup match where he was pinging the ball all over the place and looked like bloody Manuel Neuer compared to Ben Foster clubbing it as hard as he could. Um, it's, it's a real strange turn of events how that's gone downhill so dramatically. And his kind of command and decision-making when it comes to kind of crosses and, and balls into the box and so on. I think those are things that you can level against a lot of goalkeepers Outside of the really, you know, really elite, the, the the real best kind of goalkeepers, those are the things that almost sort the wheat from the chaff. Um, I think he is perfectly adequate, but if, you know, if money was no object and um, we were in a position where we could pick and choose where we do deals this summer, then you would be, I would say, yeah, he's an area where you could get an upgrade. But I imagine he'll be unless there's an offer for him we can sell him for a few quid i imagine he's going to be here next year um and personally i don't have any great issue because i think although there are flaws to his game he he saves you more points than he loses you um with some of those reaction saves there was you know even in that second half there was one wasn't there where he had to get down quite quite sharply to his right and push the shot away so yeah i i think we're we're destined to have this debate almost forever aren't we Finally, we had six million for a goalkeeper. Eh? <laughs> yeah, well, he, uh, he he came out after the game and apologised for the uh, behaviour that led to him being sent off uh, as well, which should be pointed out. Um, I suppose it's always easier to come out and apologise for something you've done after your team has just won a game, though, isn't it? A little, it, a little odd, isn't it? 
Yeah, I found that, I must admit, there have been a few instances of this. This is just football culture now for me. I, I really hate it, basically. Football isn't the theatre or the cinema. You don't turn up expecting to be entertained or like a restaurant, expect to go and the food be perfect. There's an element of jeopardy to it. You don't know what you're going to see. Now, obviously, if it's crap every week, then you're entitled to be miserable. You're entitled to be annoyed. You're entitled to stop going. Um, but as bad as this season's been, you know, we're not talking a Derby County 11-point season here, are we? It, you know, in this kind of culture of apologising, like even Bayo being obviously asked by the club to kind of, um, or, you know, doing an interview with the club where his quotes were turned into an apology statement and stuff, it's just rubbish. Just, like, grow up. It's not sincere. If you are if you need that apology from a footballer, then bloody hell, get a grip, like... He didn't need to put. It was a stupid red card. Of course, it was a stupid red card to get sent off for two yellows as a goalkeeper. If you ignore everything else, is moronic. If you then throw in the context of two yellows in a minute, and you know one was for arguing and one was in the opposing penalty area, then I mean it's quite amazing actually. It's an incredible way to get sent <laughs> off. Fair play to him, but you know, just like it doesn't need red as well. Yeah, you don't really, I just don't think you need to apologise. I don't think he's letting anyone down at that stage. And there are people even accusing him of doing it on purpose as a kind of show of passion. Look how much I care. I just don't believe that. I just, you know, bloody hell. I just think it's nonsense. I just think it's nonsense. A lot of nonsense, Matt. Okay, fair enough, Tom. Not from you, mate. I always (laughs) think you're sensible. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, the, uh, the second change was Keenan Davis in for Britta Sombolonga. That one perhaps seemed more obvious because Britta Sombolonga was injured. Um, we thought, and we discussed this on the last show, that it would be for the season. Watford have since suggested that it isn't as bad as we thought it was. Although, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, do you think there's a chance he's back before the end of the season, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, you know, it's hard to grade the injury based on his reaction. I think he, the way that he reacted made it kind of insinuated that it was somewhat so, well, more severe than perhaps it was. I mean, there could be any, any level of it. Could be a strain to a to a full rupture. But if he's if he's coming back, um, he might just have a pull. And you know, I, I'm not. I haven't looked at his injury history or what we have available to see from that. But it would I would assume that he's had numerous hamstring issues and probably it's just a a re-aggravation that he's quite used to dealing with and knows his body well enough to say, you know, I'm done, get me off now sort of thing. And that, that's probably what it was. But um, just, you know, you look at someone the the, the age of Asim Balunga and even even just the size of Asim Balunga as well, um, you you generally have a little bit more fear when you see them pull up with a hamstring injury. But yeah, seems like he might be back and yeah, maybe he still has a part to play this season. Who knows? Yeah, disappointing for him, really, because it was just a time when uh, he was starting to get around in the team and looking good. And um, who knows, maybe he wouldn't have um, immediately come out of the team for Keenan Davis at this point, had he still been fit. But um, unfortunately, he did pick up the injury and, you know, he might get back in time to play some minutes. But um, ultimately, I think uh, the best part of the season for him is is over. Um he was replaced at the time by Arauj because Davis was still injured, but um, Arauj not considered um, for this game. Keenan Davis straight back in. Was that the right decision? I think based on Arauj's performance last time, it's probably hard to argue with. I, mm-hmm. I think when he when when Wada came in, we thought that 
that Davis would be one that he likes. Um, so when available, Davis is probably going to play. I think he gives you that that different option. And when we're trying to play quite quite quickly forward at times as well, he is someone that can play with his back to goal and, and and maybe slow things down a little bit for you or just help things stick in theory at least. So yeah, I think it was kind of somewhat predictable when, once we knew that he was available at least. Did he have a good game, Jordan? He was okay, wasn't he? He was fine. Um, I don't think he was exceptional. I don't think there were many standout um, performances from the individuals, apart from maybe Pedro had a good game. But um, yeah, he was he was fine. He seemed a bit non-existent to me, but, but um... yeah, he's just he's just there, wasn't he? Like it was it was one of those performances where they were just everyone was like a a six out of ten. Pedro was maybe a seven or an eight sort of thing. You know, like it wasn't actually maybe that's not even a fair reflection now. And think about it a little further, but still. It it was an okay performance. He didn't. He wasn't offensively bad. He wasn't particularly good. Um, not many players imposing themselves on, on on that game. I'd say. Oh, he's only made sixty league starts in his career, and he's twenty five, which is pretty remarkable. And this season with twenty four is the most he's ever made league starts, which kind of to me points to the problem that I think we've all kind of lamented at one stage or another this season, that he's just not match fit or match sharp or match ready. I don't know quite what the right term would be to describe it, but there's evidently something there holding him back, isn't there? Because at 25, you should not have made 60 career starts, Mm. particularly if someone's trying to charge £15 million for you. That's insane. You know... The the problem the problem with someone like Keenan Davis and this is something that you come across fairly frequently. Um, but you, you have some some guys, some players, some athletes that are just they are unfortunately destined to to compile injuries and 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 struggle to 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 keep up with the tempo. Their body just fails them to keep up with the tempo required um, to play a, a, an elite level sport. I think football is particularly difficult because you have to try and find that balance that hybrid of being a a long distance runner with, uh, and also a powerful you know athlete with speed and and dynamic movement and so on so it it does kind of accentuate that a little bit and i think davis is someone that's just going to miss too many games in his career mm. um to really put runs together um and he has quality that that may be worth 15 million pounds at at points um but you don't get to see it that often cuz he's so in and out of the team and it, it worked well at forest but you know, there's a reason why why Villa are willing to let him go. Um, there's a reason why he's had to go out on loan, and and also why he's not played many games. But I do fear for him. That's not something you normally um, overcome, and it, it's been something that's really plagued him throughout um, his career. And it's not it's not slowed down. It's also it's the variety of injury too. I know he's had knee injuries, calf, hamstring, ankles. It's uh, yeah, a little bit a little bit troubling. I I feel a bit for Keenan Davis. He he might be he might be one of those guys. I'm afraid. So is that poor recruitment on our part then, Jordan? Has someone dropped the ball then by by suggesting that he's the right man to go for? I think you're taking a bit of a you taking a bit of a gamble. Like you know that injury history is this, these are the sorts of risks we take. Though we take these sorts of gambles in the hope that we we get more than the, than the value, you know, more than our worth. I mean, obviously taking him on loan is a relatively safe option because, you know, worst case scenario, he's not as available for you this season as you like, but you're not stuck with him. Um, and it's also an opportunity for him to prove, you know, you get a closer look at him, you get your doctors looking at him, you get to manage it, you get to control it how you see fit. And then if you still can't keep him available, you still don't like what, what he is, you don't have to, you've got no commitment to to, to to kind of complete on that deal. So 
I'd say it's low risk. It just it, it just depends, really. I mean, it, it becomes high risk when you get a closer look at the Raymond eyes and the mm. um, and the vacuum bios. You don't fancy as much. Then that you know more weight and more importance goes onto that Keenan Davis signing. So mm. yeah, it's 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 kind of somewhere in between. But it's the sort of deal that we we had definitely done over the last few years, and um, I, I think it's kind of somewhat somewhat within line. Feels like too many gambles were taken this season. Yeah, probably speaks for where we were in terms of our ability to recruit, though, right? That you know we didn't spend much actual hard cash. Him, Chowdhury, Howells were all loans with a, a pre-agreed price, right? And you know, conceivably, in another time period, we would have just bought those guys rather than loaning them or bought them with an obligation or whatever. But we had to take a bit of a bit of a flyer on them and you know and some certainly at the start of the season Keenan Davis I thought had was playing really well and and looked like the focal point of the attack and in a few games most notably that Sunderland game at home we drew two or when he came off it all kind of collapsed a little bit um so he's you know over the course of the season kind of become a bit of a scapegoat which I think at times is unfair at other times is probably uh justified but yeah, it's, I think it's indicative of where we were at last summer in terms of our recruitment, certainly. I mean, good thing now, like, you know, kind of, as we discussed, that we didn't sign any of those guys permanently. Like, they, they are deals that you want in that sort of situation. Players that are trying to prove themselves, you know, trying to prove themselves and, and get into a team and, and play regular football. You know, House, uh, Chowdhury, both at that sort of age, you know, early, mid-20s, 24, 25. They won't be playing first team football. They got to be getting a move or kind of trying to fight their way into their parent club's team, and you know, one one very far from it, and and one kind of not fancied here by a lot of fans as well. And it's just these are players you have to take the risk of loaning. If we'd gone for those players permanently, we'd be perhaps in, a, in an even more difficult situation now. Hmm. So many risks taken though, and 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 the vast majority of them not working out. We're essentially having to start again from scratch. Uh, at the start of this coming season, whereas what we potentially could have been is a season in with some players that um, perhaps if we hadn't taken such a big gamble, some players that we knew were were worth their salt, but um, you know not in the upper echelons of of the expensive range, we could have been with a squad that was a lot more settled and ready to really have a crack at the championship rather than. Just starting again from afresh. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. Although one that um, I felt had a, a very good game was uh, young Ryan Andrews, who um, was making his first start for Watford at home, uh, having started in the last game away, um, and I felt like he he played really well. He made a couple of errors, but um, in general, uh, it was a very good performance from the youngster. Yes, Ryan Andrews was very good. Again, um, if anything has come out these final few weeks of the season, I think it's his emergence as an option for me next season. I think it's clear, and someone said on Twitter that they bumped into Gaspar in the club shop and he was essentially fine, just not in the squad, that he is not Chris Wilder's cup of tea. And I think, Jordan, you might have said earlier in the season you could foresee a situation where he would, kind of go back to Spain or move abroad at the end of the season, certainly wouldn't remain in England. Um, and Gaki has what, kind of been what in... What on earth was he doing in the club shop? Sorry, Tom. I'm... Oh, I, that bit of... De- the key bit <laughs> of information, he, I don't know. 
Probably why? buying if some. If you're Mario Gaspar, why are you in the club shop? Probably buying just some like, not just like your own time. Twenty quid shirts <laughs> to take home for his family to remember his time at Watford, commemorate his time at Watford. I don't know. <laughs> probably trying to sell, sell his match worn match worn training. Yeah, that's there, it. Then. Exactly. So he can pay his food bill at the training grounds. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Uh, that's all right. No, but no, Ryan Andrews very good. And um, if you want some stats on that. 15 of his 17 defensive actions were successful, which is number one of any player on the pitch on the day. Nine interceptions was more than anyone. Won five of eight aerial duels, which was the second best of anyone. But also, you know, competent going forward as well. Eight final third passes completed was more than anyone else. Second for attempted passes in the final third. Ranked quite highly for kind of forward passes as well. You know, he was he was good. He was solid. He didn't look out of place quite often with these players. You, you can see the physical difference between someone of his age at 18, you know, very much a junior in men's football and the kind of established pros. But, you know, I don't think he got kind of shown up in that respect against Bristol City or Coventry. Um, I hope he stays in the team between now and the end of the season. It, you know, Ngakia was back on the bench, but Jao Ferreira is injured. As we know, Mario Gaspar's aimlessly wandering the Hornet shop. Um, so you know, he's, he, I think for me, he's a, he's a genuine, genuine option. Yeah, I think he's. Um, you know, I think he again. He's our, our standards are obviously set by his the fact that he's a youth player coming into the fold, and I think that's fair. I think that's the only way you can really look at him at this point, and he's he's doing pretty well. I mean, he looks composed in the ball. He's got he's he's got decent burst and pace to him. Um, the biggest thing again, he didn't expose himself, didn't make us worse, which is what you're looking for when someone kind of gets drafted in like that. Uh, he's good, and I think if I had to make any comparisons, I'd say that I'm I'm more comfortable with him than I was, say Morris on the left. Um, and yeah, I think there's a, there's definitely some upside to him. Remains to be seen how we'll we'll kind of go down that route. I think right back's an interesting position to look at for next year. Um, you, you might be saying, um, you might be saying you know backup situation for him behind Ferreira, but I think with Ferreira's injury concerns, they might even be looking at a potential right back that's going to be expecting more minutes as as that kind of number two. But yeah, it, it was a good performance, and um, at the very least, he's he's raising his own stock for the rest of his career, showing that he can cut it at championship level. Yeah, I think it's likely he goes out on loan next season, personally. But um, I mean, if he does well enough from now until the end, maybe maybe he does grab that shirt. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? I'm I'm a little harsh on the on the youth players that come through, but um, I'm all for all for one of them doing well enough to be in that first team. I mean, it would, it would actually be a, a big help if we had some uh, had some help from those guys. The game as a whole um, was something as a rarity, as you've pointed out, Tom. Um, Watford had fewer passes, less time on the ball. Do you think that that was um, something that the manager, uh, you know, decided was going to be uh, advantageous for, for us uh, or, or did it just happen accidentally um yeah i mean it's you know it's you can you can look at it as a choice for sure i think it's there's definitely more of a there's more maybe more of an emphasis on, on on being a little bit more urgent to get the ball forward quicker i think the change in shape kind of indicates that too uh trying to use the width a little more be a little bit more direct we've seen that a couple of times now we've been we've been a little bit more direct in those situations it's going to lead to less pass less control of the ball uh, which i don't think you know we've we've discussed this previously ourselves we look better sometimes when we've got that space to break into and you know maybe there's a little bit of an element of 
let's give them the opportunity to attack so we can turn that ball over and and maybe hit on the break a little bit more and, and open some space up rather than you know, have that sort of that sort of creeping effect of, of dominating the ball and the, the opponents kind of sit back. We're not actually more effective and oftentimes we're not even really defensively more sound either. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a slight change of approach, which is just kind of having that outcome. Although Bristol actually controlled the ball pretty well, um, it was a little bit disappointing to see Matty James kind of just really control the midfield like he does you would think that that'd be a player we could stop doing so but you know it's 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 one of those things it's kind of what you give up if you are going to play that more direct manner which we were seeming to to, to go for nice um another player that was getting um a lot of praise and he's, he's been getting praise ever since he's basically pulled on a Watford shirt is uh Ryan Porteous uh potential captain maybe next season Tom yeah this is the uh, kind of prevailing thought isn't it I know there are a lot of people on the do not scratch your eyes Twitter space who have kind of pushed him for captaincy. Um, he shouts a lot and he, you know, gives the impression of someone who wants to win and, and cares and whatnot. I don't know if it's based on a lot more than that at this stage. Equally, I'm not as opposed at the idea of Jao Pedro being captain as, as some have been, albeit I guess he might not be here. But I do think as a wider point, the armband has been shared around. And I, and I know as Englishmen, we kind of hold more stock in it than any other nation. But it has been just sort of passed around for the last two seasons now. We've either had a captain that's unavailable in Tom Cleverley for a large chunk of time or just sort of rotated it amongst senior players who were out of favour. At various times, it would be good to have a proper talismanic leader, someone that really, you know, G's the team up and leads by example and all those kind of cliches. So I think, you know, it's certainly why not him? Yeah, certainly why not him? I think a lot of people were enjoying the fact that he really seems to take um, bad defending around him personally. He he <laughs> he lets whoever has made a mistake uh, know about it, which. Um, is is quite nice. We haven't seen too much of that this season. Accountability, certainly not. Made a couple of his own though. Well, that's true. That's true. Let's, do you want to talk about that, Jordan? Yeah, no. I think it's just. I, I think he's been. He's definitely not been perfect. I think there's 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 promise. There's upside to him. He's a younger player, so you know he's just moved in January. There's definitely room um, to improve and get better. But he he brings a lot of. Um, a lot of energy and commitment to that defensive line, which we've definitely been lacking at times. Like, I, I don't fault him. You're not going to fault him necessarily for some of the mistakes that you've seen with you know, the likes of Cabaselli not chasing down the ball to the, to stop the cross to coming against Blackpool and so on. But he does have his own issues at times as well. He gave, he gave the ball away a few times, um, a little bit rash on occasion. But yeah, not not perfect. I think that, that two, that central pairing of Hoot and, and Porteous is definitely... It, I'm not feeling better on it as time goes on, I'd say. It, I've definitely gone a little bit in the opposite direction. I think they almost look better as a three um, in, in some ways. But, um, yeah, one to keep an eye on. There's still one that I think is you know a good a good addition to have in, uh, at the club and something we can really assess and, and have a look at and also just allow to perhaps play under better circumstances because he's he's joined at a pretty turbulent time as well. So it's difficult, but I think you want to kind of establish that back line and, and, and maybe try and build something a little bit more... A little more cohesive and just you know perhaps have a bit of a better understanding because it's changed around so so much not just at centre back but at the full back positions as we've already mentioned um, today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So victory it ended up being then, and that means that Watford are now um, peculiarly uh, only four points away from the playoff positions, making it more possible that something could happen than last week. Um, I'm not sure if anyone really believes that something is going to happen, but I mean, if, if you were a betting person, you would say the odds have changed. Well, I'm going to try and give some optimism here. If if you think playoff hopes are, are in equal optimism, because some of you, I think, maybe don't even want to think of having to watch us in the playoffs, which I also understand that train of thought. But I'm just looking through the fixtures. So obviously four games remaining. I'm looking at teams that we have to essentially catch up on or teams that are around us. You're talking Blackburn, Coventry, Preston, Sunderland, Norwich, West Brom. They're the main players. Mm. feels like we're really fighting for one spot. Is that... Is that fair? Yeah, I think yeah, that's Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Millwall could potentially as well. So, you know, we could we could say Millwall, but anything from basically you you think sixth place, but definitely fifth and sixth are the ones that are up for grabs. But just looking through um the fixtures, I won't painstakingly run through every single one. Well maybe I will, but um Black so look just looking at Blackburn. Blackburn's remaining games, they they obviously have a game in hand. They've still got to play Coventry, Preston, Burnley, and Luton, and Millwall. So they've got to play Tough. all of Blackburn's fixtures are in the top around the playoff fight. They're all engaged or already promoted. Um so obviously that is not an ideal run of fixtures. And it's an opportunity that teams are gonna have to lose points. Obviously, not all of those teams can capitalize, so that's a little bit of room for us. Uh Coventry, they've got Obviously, Blackburn, as I said, Reading, Birmingham, which isn't ideal, but they also have Middlesbrough, 
uh, away as well. And it's maybe kind of hard to keep track of all these names that I'm saying, but try try, try to. Um, then Preston, they've still got to play Swansea. Uh, Blackburn again, Sheffield United and Sunderland. Not an easy run. Again, teams playing in the playoffs or looking to get in the playoffs. Sunderland, they have obviously us, um, Preston and West Brom as well and Huddersfield. So that's, again, teams that are tough. Norwich, um, Swansea, QPR, West Brom, Blackpool. Arguably Norwich have the best run out in this little pack we're talking about here. They do have West Brom away though, which is, again, opportunity. Uh, what, they're also in a bad run of form themselves exactly they? yeah they're down towards the lower end around with us as well and then you've got West Brom they're looking at Blackpool Sunderland Sheffield United Norwich and Swansea that is not a nice one of fixtures and then if you had to say quite objectively the most comfortable in theory run is Watford with Cardiff Hull sorry Cardiff at home Hull away Sunderland away and then Stoke at home so if you're talking about just purely from a fixture perspective, we definitely have the best or the most favourable strength of schedule by by some distance. And and that four-point gap, whilst it is significant, there's definitely opportunity. And in fact, there has to be point teams that are dropping points. No one can gain maximum points, obviously, because there's a lot of um a lot of crossover and a lot of teams play each other still. So there to to kind of really end that of the cliche, there are lots of twists and turns that, that can happen. And if we could somehow be a, a competent team and and push through. We might even just find our way of stumbling towards them and and trip into it at the final hurdle. Who knows? You, you're right. <laughs> what you say there, being a comp, somehow be a competent team. That's all it would take, isn't it? Like yeah. it, we're talking off air beforehand, but it, it, the fact that we're still actually in the, the contention somehow, despite being yeah. six places behind and having won two games under Chris Wilder, is insane. Yeah, We've effectively only really a few draws converted away from being pretty comfortable in the playoffs. In fact, at this stage, one hundred percent, and that's that's the thing. And you know, as I just like you know, just just looking at Blackburn's schedule again: Coventry, Preston, Burnley, Luton, and Black and Millwall. It's just these are a lot of points up for grabs. You know, there's there's going to be some of these teams dropping out pretty fast. And if we can just, I mean, if we won all four games, you know. If that was if that was at all possible, you're you're in a you're in a good position. I I think it's easy. I think because of how bad we've been or how average we've been or below average for for a long period of time in this in this season, I think it's easy to to kind of over emphasize or over kind of in, or inflate the ability of the teams around us. They're not perfect either. I'm not saying that they're they're worse than us or or we're as good as them, but. Um, they're not infallible. These are teams that have also had their own struggles. And if you're a Blackburn fan looking at that run of, run of fixtures, you're thinking to yourself, you know, it's in our hands, but it's not, it's by no means certain. And I think, you know, any team that we, we've just discussed there would be wanting our fixtures. Uh, so let's, let's see. It might, it might be more within reach than, you, than, than we perhaps think, uh, you know, final whistle at the weekend. We felt like it was all done anyway, even with the 2-0 win. I think it's actually perhaps a little bit more realistic than we've given it credit or given credit to. Mm. If only you actually got some kind of prize for getting to the playoffs, because uh, I think if Watford did achieve <laughs> the playoff place, that would be as far as it goes, surely. I mean, the the, the teams in the playoffs currently are, have, are far and away better than what we've served up this season. They are, but you know, and and who at least would have more, at least would have some in, some engagement for the final part of the season. That's for me. That's honestly the biggest thing is is having something to watch with some 
No, it's, uh, if it can, if the if the fight can stay alive for the last four games, and it, it's more it's more engaging and and potentially more fun and more heartbreaking, I guess, depending how you look on it. But uh, it, I mean, if I was if even from a cynical look, a cynical way of thinking, it's at least an opportunity to assess more. If if you really feel that we have to assess more of this group, I think a lot of us feel pretty set in our opinions. It is an opportunity to see see how they play with an element of pressure because they're not quite at the point now where it's uh, you know, free hits to get the seasons done, just get the season over. There should be pressure on Chris Wilder because it is still attainable technically and there should be pressure on the players too. So let's kind of see how they handle it and uh, and use it as a bit of uh, due diligence for next season at the very least. But yeah, maximum points. Sorry, just maximum points. And we're, you know, you, you shoot up the table pretty quick. So who knows? Okay, nice. Um, Let's move into uh, any other business then before we wrap this one up. A shorter podcast today because we've got a game on wednesday and uh that's coming up very very quickly as we were just talking about um i'll start then um nigel pearson uh got a uh a rousing cheer when he uh his name was called out i wasn't expecting that i wasn't sure how his um return would go with the watford faithful so that was interesting i didn't know that but i'm not entirely surprised because i think people largely felt that although we kind of slipped back into imminent danger under him. He was very hard done by, um, all things considered, and generally kind of spoke his mind and was sensible and, you know, didn't take any crap. And given where we've kind of been since and what's happened to us since, I think he could say, and, you know, he had his say in the build-up about continuity and so on. I think he could quite easily be less gracious, hello, Rob Edwards, and, and say that he was, you know, vindicated, justified in, in his belief. So, yeah, it's nice to see someone get a... Nice to actually see some of them come back, to be fair. Most of them just disappear into, nomad, into the middle of nowhere, don't they? So, Or the Premier League, apparently. Or the Premier League, yeah. Um, another point that uh, came from the weekend, we saw more protesting uh, and there was another flag that was uh, very quickly removed uh, once again. Um, guys, what's, what's your opinion on this? And we didn't talk about it in the last pod, but um, we're, we're seeing more and more visible and audible protests from, from the Watford fans. Um, you know, and I think it was particularly important at this one because there was a victory for Watford, but still the protesting. So it's, you know, it clearly does go more than uh, we've lost. We're going to protest now. We've won. Uh, uh, we're not going to protest. It's uh, it goes, you know, above that. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Actually, that it's not a, a fickle thing at this stage. It is it goes beyond? It transcends results and performances. Mm. Um, there is across the board kind of frustration or more at the way the club is being run and things are being done and, and the kind of net result of those decisions made at executive level. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think, um, as we said last time, all things considered, we have been very patient as a fan base. Um, that's not a criticism of anyone. In fact, I think it's to be applauded, really, that in this kind of day and age where you have rolling news and, and so on that, you know, in this kind of instant gratification when it comes to signing more players, signing more players, et cetera, et cetera. People have been pretty, pretty understanding, pretty forgiving. And, and, and as I say, pretty patient, but it kind of patience has snapped, not for everybody, but for some people. And I think that's the, the difficulty now is people are going to have different opinions about 
whether it's justified or not. And we kind of need to show kind of respect and patience towards one another for that. Um, but I think the protests that we've seen have been very peaceful and respectful and what have you, which as from a club perspective is all you can ask for. However, as we know from well, seeing the game and the reports on Twitter and whatnot, people have been ejected for their displaying of a flag or flags. And I think that is incredibly poor on the club's mm. part and incredibly hypocritical as well when you consider um, that some of the flags that have been arranged in the past with the club's aid, the big kind of surfer flags, I'm thinking that the 1881 um, have done a lot of over the years, are, are seemingly absolutely fine when they cover an entire stand, but apparently it becomes an issue uh, when one individual brings out an unplanned flag that, you know, isn't uh, in anyone's eye line or anyone's view uh, or obstructing anyone's view of the game. So I just think it's been handled very, very poorly and has created more kind of negativity and headlines and actually had the adverse effect to what the club would have wanted by trying to kind of quash any form of protest anyway. And none of it sits well with me as a as a football supporter. We are the customer, whether we like it or not, and we should be allowed to say when we are unhappy um, with with what how we're being treated and what's being served up. Mm. Particularly, these flags aren't um, rude. They're not. Uh, they're not. They're not malicious. They're they're just voicing an opinion. Um, That's it. If it was threats against individuals or you know offensive language or what have you, then that's absolutely a case for them there to be some kind of action off the back of it. But yeah, they, they just seem to have said pots are out, don't they? I don't think it's anything more, anything less than no. that. Um, I guess the the thing here is if it was a completely universal perspective, then you could just chant and there would be nothing you could do. But I think this is probably backs up the point I was making at the start that this is the view of certain people at this stage rather than rather than everybody um so until we reach that point it's probably a little bit easier to pick off individuals and you know kick them out whatever ban them than it is um an entire kind of crowd of whatever it was it's been less than full evidently in the last few weeks hasn't it but you know 10 10 to 20,000 people it's been gathering pace at a steady rate though the 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 pots are out movement and inevitably, it will probably fluctuate with results as well. I think we've, we've kind of crossed the threshold of being entirely dependent on results. But if we have another stinker in the two remaining home games on Wednesday or on the 8th of May, like we did against Huddersfield or, well, plenty of other home games this season, to be fair, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that will be will be amped up somewhat. Um, but I think it has, as a general point, gone beyond just being about results, hasn't it, and performances. It's 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 far more, uh, you know, it's beyond surface level, certainly. I think that's why this season feels like it's kind of, you know, when you said about earlier, we've not been monstrously bad. It's not been Derby County levels of, you know, capitulation or anything. But I, I think because it's a long, drawn-out issue, it's kind of a death-by-a-thousand-cut situation where we've just we've just got to the final the, the kind of the breaking point is, is starting to be reached now and i think as you say it because it kind of transcends results at that point because it, it's not about the individual game by game 
kind of feeling it's something that kind of is, is an overarching not it's hard to articulate but it's, it's, a, it's a bigger issue than that so it doesn't go away doesn't get kind of paved over by a win it's just not enough so it's not going to change and even if we do get in the playoffs i would still expect to see Pozzo out banners we could get promoted and i think there's still be an extreme amount of uh, of concern and and um you know potential fear by the by the fan base the same as it is now it, it's just just the way the situation or the, the way it's got or the, the point is reached so yeah you know dealing with it taking banners and kicking fans out will only work for so long i, I think it's even i mean i, I don't know that the individuals that that have, have brought the flags and have been kicked out but you know ultimately it is raising the awareness quite well you might be able to kick them out but i'm sure a much bigger deal has been made of these banners but the fact that the two fans have been removed and if they just been left there in the first place um so yeah it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd one it's just a, it's, it's been quite poorly dealt with overall i'd say the fans in question, I believe, spoke to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast and um, they said that they were told that you're not allowed to peacefully protest inside the stadium. I think that's the, the quote that uh, mm. that they said. Is that is that what you heard, Tom? Yeah, well, that's certainly what that was said on, on Do Not Scratch Your Eyes, wasn't it? And that, and that came down from the uh, stadium operations manager or, or something like that, which, mm. <laughs> I mean... If you can't peacefully protest, then what can you do? That's not that's not right. So, yeah, it's just it's just another inglorious episode for the the club this season, isn't it? And um, yeah. evident that something has to change. And off the back of that, I think uh, in the Athletic, David Ornstein commented that um, the, uh, the the person who was ejected uh, now has to speak to the uh, the stadium manager. Is that right? In order to uh, get readmittance back to the stadium. Is that right? Yeah, this this was in Ornstein's column, but but Eleventhal story oh, right. that um, they need to the guy that was ejected from the Huddersfield game. Richards is all we know about him. Um, we will have to yeah meet with the stadium operations manager to be allowed back, having tried to purchase a ticket for Bristol City and being denied. And this also extends to away games, which again I think is totally wrong is out of the jurist should be out of the jurisdiction of the club quite frankly so yeah it's it's all a bit of a mess and i just think that the cherry on a pretty shitty cake of a season one more thing to talk about then that was in the lead up to this game um there was a lot of talk about chris wilder potentially being axed in favor of uh, a new person that uh, we believe has had talks with the club this is farioli um, and uh, it was getting such pace that um, well-respected journalists that usually only comment on things when um, they're very certain they're about to happen said, um, yeah, Wilder's gone and, and this new bloke is in, um, which led the club to have to come out and um, dismiss these rumours um, and and stand by their their man. Um, something very uncharacteristic about the about the uh, the club. I've not seen that happen before. It, it um, took me by surprise, but it was um, <laughs> it was it was quite laughable, really, that, that that they 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 felt like they had to do that because um, so often are they uh, switching managers that um, <laughs> they had to say we're not doing it this time. Yeah, you got to laugh. I thought it was funny the club described described it as disrespectful. I mean, I think we're. <laughs> I don't think they can quite claim any sort of disrespect by such an accusation being made at this point. But 
Yeah, and all, I mean, it just seemed like poor journalism, really rushing to to get to be first to a story that wasn't really there. Um, kind of misunderstanding perhaps the situation of Chris Wilder at the club and and the fact that it was raised, two and two were put together, and then suddenly you've got this whole story which seemed like a non-starter. Um, it it was an odd an odd one, but you know, I guess the club felt they had to clear that up and. Even just perhaps for the reputation of Chris Wilder, they might have felt like they had to to intervene and uh, and say what they thought. But you know what what was more interesting to me is there'd been that talk of of Wilder, you know, kind of essentially staking his claim and saying he wanted to be at the club next season. What it does say is the club and, and not necessarily, you know, resound to that idea or to that situation taking or playing out. It seems they are communicating with other coaches, which you'd want and expect them to be doing at this stage. And it was seen nothing particularly nefarious and somewhat of a, of a non, non-story as far as, uh, as as Watford goes. Yeah, Adam Leventar, it was, he reported that um, the club had earlier had talks with Farioli. Uh, what do we know about him, Jordan? Well, look, he's, he's a young coach. I mean, he's someone that has become a little bit of a... Oh, what's the way to describe him? He, he's, he's popular amongst the football hipsters, I'd say. Um, somewhat, unex- somewhat unex- you could say unexperienced. He's unattached right now. Uh, has had some success in Turkey, or at least you know, divert to play style, which was deemed quite, quite attractive. Um, he's well regarded by by his by his peers. Someone that is potentially worth an opp- uh, worth an opportunity at a, a championship club, or, or potentially more. Um, it, it's a tough one though. These sorts of coaches are interesting to me. I think because they're they're a little bit harder to assess from the outside. Um, oftentimes these are kind of these are these are guys that you're getting an opinion based off interactions with them personally, understanding their the kind of direction they're looking to go and what they're trying to develop, rather than being able to look at the samples that's out there and and necessarily kind of imposing that onto your club and your current situation. I think there isn't really a comparable situation he's been at um, in terms of where we are. So. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown, but that's kind of what makes it interesting too. I think what I will say though is I've spoken to a few that that know little more than I do in regards to him, and they've they've been quite positive about him as a as a as a character at least, uh, and and someone that kind of knows the game intimately and and is a is a is a potential candidate for for a club looking to kind of ascend and potentially develop a little bit over or a little bit more long term than we've we've been used to previously, which I would expect. With it sounds like he's got a few suitors already. Uh, across Europe, maybe not so many in England, but he he's definitely not going to be struggling for opportunity. Um, so we've got to really kind of offer him something tangible, I'd say, to 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 attract him to Vicarage Road. Do we have the players that uh, he could utilise, or would it require a uh, whole change? Well, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't say it requires a whole change necessarily. I think the club is going to go through a significant change anyway. Um, I, I think what That's I would true, say yeah. is it may be, look, I think when you're looking at his, his time in Turkey currently, you can't, you can't really say that's his definitive way of playing. And that's the only way he wants to, he's, he's too young in his, in his career to, to necessarily argue that point. I think if you're Ben Manger and you're having the conversation with Faroli and saying that, you know, what are your philosophies? What is, what is it you're trying to do, achieve? How would you approach this situation? What do you think of this, that, you know, you're, you're trying to find that middle ground and, and see what he's about. I'm sure he's still... I'm I'm sure he had his own issues that he wasn't able to to implement everything he wanted to do at his previous job, and that there are things he'd like to do differently at the next one. So I, I wouldn't say he's so set in his ways that we have to try and replicate his, his previous situation. But 
you know, I think, as I said, we're going to have lots of change anyway. So if you can get that established nice and early, you can tailor things to, to suit both the club um, from a from a recruitment squad building perspective and and the head coach from from a kind of tendency and preference situation too. Um, I, I think we have to be a little bit open minded in, in regards to that because, as I said, the sample size is pretty small and I, I'm not sure we can we can really take as much from it. I think the one thing you'd say is if you look at if you look at what he has done, you maybe would expect some a little bit more proficiency from a kind of a technical level from the players in, in, in terms of retention and you know overall well it's a, it sounds very broad when you say overall use of the ball but we're not a particularly cultured team in the way that we control possession and so on so you know maybe we have to increase um it, from that perspective but it's mm. yeah it, it's an interesting one at the very least let's play devil's advocate here let's say Watford somehow get promotion this season is he this is he still the guy that you want coming in in the Premier League I mean, it's hard again. It's hard to say because he's just—he's not—he's not got the the back catalogue to really have a full understanding. We're, we're having to take—we're having to really trust um, trust those that would be employing him more than anything because there are so many intangibles that we just don't have access to analyze. And I think we need to see more footage. We need to see kind of more of what he wants to do with his teams. When you're talking about a guy that's been that really, you're looking at a guy that's essentially been at one club to get that recent sample size it's tough to say but um i do trust some that i've spoken to which which are aware of him less from maybe a a head coach perspective but more just from his coaching career and 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 seem to be quite positive that's all i can really say on him for now okay good stuff tom uh do you think he sounds like a good potential yeah i can't pretend to know heaps about him but i've done a bit of reading and i think the thing that intrigues me particularly is that he um, has spent some time under Roberto De Zerbi, who has obviously done very, very well at Brighton. They had quite an interesting kind of link-up in so far as he wrote an article about um, De Zerbi's Foggia side, who won Serie Chi back in uh, his kind of early part of his career. De Zerbi read it, it was impressed, and brought him onto his backroom staff, and they worked together um at Benevento and Sassuolo and obviously kind of had some success there and kind of gone out and forced his own path in uh the Turkish Super League as well there are a couple of good articles that I would push you towards if you're wanting to do a bit more reading around him and I dare say it'll become more relevant if he does end up here and I suspect there's no smoke without fire but um there's one on maybe I'll share these from our from the Buzz account Twitter account, but there's one on total football analysis about his time at Alanya Spore, and then there's one which is a couple of years older um, on the analyst, which is the Opta kind of blog uh, from his time at. I'm going to butcher this, but Fatih Karagumruk, who are also Turkish. Um, yeah, we did, did butch that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if you want to learn a bit more about what he kind of his style of play and, and so on, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest reading those, and um, you you get a, a decent understanding. Nice. And talking about reading things, um, you recently wrote an article. I did. Yes, I always write about this time of year when I'm annoyed about Watford and all the things that they've done wrong that I can see and they're too stupid to see. Um, and um, I, this year was no different. So just a bit of a. Probably nothing that Watford fans don't already know and, and nothing that anyone that listens to this podcast hasn't heard already, but certainly a kind of state of the nation on, on and where we are at the moment, the kind of mistakes that have been made, the things that need to change and why I'm not necessarily 
Pozzo out, but Pozzo has to has to change. Um, that much is imperative. So um, it's on our Twitter page. It's on my Twitter page, and you should follow both of those things. Excellent stuff. Thank well, you. About do us for this episode of the Watford Buzz. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, quick uh, shout outs to our patrons. Uh, those are Hanson Ho, Matthew, Nick Lansing, Michael Abrams, and Steve Brown. Um, if you want to join them, please just search What for Buzz podcast and put Patreon next to it, and you'll see all about that. Um, please also leave us a comment on uh, the iTunes section of the What for Buzz podcast. Just scroll down to the bottom, give us a rating out of five, and leave us a comment, and we'll read those out on a future show. Um, guys, anything left from you? No, I think uh, I think that's pretty much it till Wednesday. Good stuff then. Um, there may not be a pod after the Cardiff. We might wrap it into one uh, about both Cardiff and Hull City. Um, but uh, keep your eyes peeled for pods coming out and you'll see which way we've gone about it. But until then, um, we'll see you next time. Uh, and it's goodbye from Matt, Tom and Jordan. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 